If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Hello, 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 beautiful people. Thank you for tuning in today. It is a very special day and a very special podcast because it's the first time I have someone back on for a second time. And it's my best friend, Maya. The last time we podcasted together, we were a couple weeks out from college graduation. And today we're chatting about our post-grad lives. We answer questions from DMs we got from all of you, and we were just curled up in bed on a Sunday afternoon chatting away, and it was it was lovely. I hope you enjoy. How would you describe the space we're in? The space we're in is a bedroom. The space we're in, huge king bed, beautiful sheets that are actually really scratchy, but in a rich people way. Pottery and, barn? Yeah, pot, pottery barn. No free ads. We're not. I take it back. This is an unsponsored video looking for sponsorship, though. If you want to replace <laughs> malls really scratchy sheets, please um, leave us. Uh, what, how do people interact with us? A comment? Yeah. A Figure DM. it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Contact mall. Yeah. On mall talks. <laughs> okay, TikTok. Okay, TikTok. Every time I, like, <laughs> use an emoji... Or, like, tell Maya anything about technology. She's like, okay, Miss TikTok. <laughs> well, one thing you need to know about me, and I think this is kind of funny about our friendship, is that, like, I don't have any social media. At all. Like, whatsoever. So I don't understand a lot, like, the part of your life that these people experience. I don't have context for it. Like, I don't know what's going on. The other day I said West Elm Caleb, and she was like, I don't know what you're saying to me. <laughs> I still don't know what that means. Like, somebody, you could fill me in if you wanted, you know? It's not important enough. Okay. Okay, we're, we're now doing the episode. Okay. From now on, we're starting the episode. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Three, two, one, start. Okay. Okay, we got so many questions, and so many people were wondering what Maya has been up to since we last chatted. So I'm going to let me tell you. Last time we chatted, we were a week away from graduation. College graduation. What have you done since then, Maya? Oh my god. Uh, so I graduated. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. I now work at a 3D printing company in Somerville, Massachusetts. It's a startup. I'm a test engineer. And I am on the learning ter- learning curve of a lifetime. And it's really hard and stressful. And I have a big girl drop. I got I have health insurance. <laughs> 
and I have a primary care physician now. I I mean, I have it scheduled. So I don't know. I feel like I am definitely like life is kind of kicking the shit out of me. But I feel like I'm on my bad bitch, you know, like coming of age experience. Mm-hmm. Tell them about your budgeting. I have a budget, <laughs> which is huge. I mean, like, but like. The week before I graduated, the last time you guys got an update on me, my finances were in shambles. I didn't know how much I was spending and on what, and now I do. So I feel less like a greedy piece of shit when I buy myself a cocktail now because I'm like, oh, I know how much a cocktail costs. (laughs) And that you can afford it. And that I can afford it without feeling like I'm being a gluttonous asshole. Yeah. And it's so weird how I think budgeting actually makes you feel more secure and less anxious. I oh. always thought it would be the other way around. If you are feeling overwhelmed by your finances and like the last thing on earth you could do is like look under the hood and put it on a spreadsheet, trust me, just do it. You are going to feel so much better about everything. Yeah, that's I think my number one piece of post-grad advice so far is just make a make a spreadsheet. It does not have to be complicated. No. Mine has mine has a credit and a debit column. <laughs> Yeah. And then it, it does the addition and subtraction, and it's amazing. Okay. The next, I got so many questions about what is a long-distance friendship like, because last time we chatted, I was telling everyone how anxious I was about it, but it's, I think, going really well. I think it's the worst thing in the whole world, obviously, but I think for how bad it is, for me and mine, it's going very well, and I still feel pretty nitty-gritty. Like, I feel... Like, I still know what your day-to-day looks like in a really beautiful way. And this morning, I showed her my walk, my everyday walk I take, like, to my lab, to my classes, and that was super special. And one thing that's really helped me with long-distance stuff is when we do call, I'm not like, okay, fill me in on everything that's happened. Or sometimes I am. But sometimes it's just like, what are you up to right now? Like, what's dressing you up right now? Yeah, I think sometimes it can be, like, I had this happen with a different friend where, like, we weren't calling because it felt like so much time had gone past that like to actually sit down and have the conversation to catch up was going to be like a two hour, three hour long phone call. And like, as much as I love those, it's kind of daunting to be like, when you think of the person and you're like on your way to target, you're just like, fuck, I don't have time to call them right now, but like, I'm thinking about them. I need to call them. And then it starts to feel like just guilty that you haven't. So with that friend, we literally sat down after we finally made that phone call and we're just like, We can't let it get like this in the future. Let's just make a promise that if we're thinking about each other, even if we only have five minutes, we just call and say, hey, I've got five minutes. What are you up to? Because then it like lowers the barrier of having to like splurge every single life moment. Um, And then, yeah. It's also so hard to be like, okay, tell me everything and then you're going to miss stuff versus if you're calling and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready for a date right now. What do I wear? It just feels so like you're in the moment with them. Yeah. And it feels less long distancey to me. And one thing that we do is, like, I'll text and be like, last five pictures from your camera roll, go. Explain mm-hmm. yourself. Oh, I love those. Every time you do that, I get so excited. <laughs> we do, like, little photo dumps because also mine's not on Instagram or on Snap. Or, like, I <laughs> – it's really hard. We, we have to recreate social media in our text conversations. Mm-hmm. And if you're in group chats with people, just be like – be real right now, like, send a selfie of what you're doing right now. I mean, stuff like that. You just have to keep it spicy, mm-hmm. like you would in a relationship, but it's a friendship. I couldn't agree more. Amazing. Okay. The next the next big daunting question is, how do I figure out what I want to do as a career? Uh, oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know. 
But I think we're both pretty happy with what we're doing. I One of the best pieces of advice I got was from one of my professors regarding dissertation topics this quarter. And she said, follow your curiosity because following your passion seems that's so scary. And you're like, I'm not actually passionate about anything very often. Mm. But following your curiosity, like what big questions do you have? Stuff like that helps. And also your first job out of college can just be something that pays you. It doesn't have to be like a lifelong commitment to your you know, your impact on the world. Mm -mm. There's too much pressure. (laughs) That's way too much pressure. And yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing to sort of set expectations, I do like what I'm doing, but it is like one of the hardest adjustments I've ever made. And it's, I would say, like most days I'm leaving work feeling like I didn't do enough and that I'm not good at my job. And like, we call about this all the time. Mall is like the constant, like pep talk in my head that you know, if it was if it was coming easily, it wouldn't be the right thing. Because I want to be, like, a badass in, like, a really challenging industry. And it's not going to be, you know, sunshine and roses the whole way to get there. It's going to be really fucking hard. And, when I look- and if it was sunshine and rainbows, everyone would be, like, th- yeah. it wouldn't be your thing, you know? Like, it, it wouldn't be as interesting or as challenging or as exciting for you to go into work every day if it was super, super easy for you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Amazing. All right. Which one do we want to do next? I saw one question that was, how many dates in do you introduce them to your friends? And I don't have a number, but kind of right away. Or like whenever it organically happens. But I'm very of the mindset of like, if we're dating, you have to be able to get along with my friends. Like that's so easy. I also think that if it's something that it's sort of... could be a good signal on whether or not they're the right person for you. If you're excited about that in like introducing them to your friends, I think that's a really, really good sign. And if you're like, ooh, it's been 10 dates and or whatever, and I don't want the answer to this question to be anything sooner than 20 dates, then maybe maybe there's something about that that's telling you you're not with the right person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like investigate that feeling. Why don't you want your friends? Because sometimes I think you know exactly what your friends are gonna say. And yeah. you know whether your friends are going to love the student, like, hate, like, hate this person. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, I did get one question that was, how do you deal with the fear that no one will love you as much as your ex did, or the same way your ex did? But you don't want the same... My, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand this to you. Yeah, well, I mean, he's your ex for a reason. You don't want him... You don't want the same type of love. And also, I think it's interesting, because the first part of this question is a lot harder for me to answer... Because, like, yeah, I think there is some sort of anxiety about, you know, never achieving that level of love again. But the second part is easier for me to address because it's, like, the same way as your ex did. Even if it's, like, a similar setup, there are as many relationships as there are people in the universe. Like, just because you had some form of relationship with your ex doesn't mean, like, it's going to be anything close to the new thing. I hate that piece of advice. I don't know. I'm all over the place. I mean, I... I just think it's so hard because every relationship is going to be so different. Even if you try to take someone and recreate even if something. You, even if you took them on the exact same date and did the exact same things, it's going to be 100% different. And maybe that's the joy. Like, I think this person feels a lot of fear that it won't be the same. And I can guarantee it won't be the same. But I think that's good because you're going to be growing into a new person, even if it's a year after you and your ex dated. You're a completely new person in a year. And going on a different date with a different person. 
and just gets to be different. Like, I think that the, the joy of it is that it's different and that you'll discover new parts of yourself and new things you like to do. And I think it's going to be different and that's okay. Yeah. And every partner you're with brings out a different part of you. And I think advice that I really like or like stuff that I think about often is what version of yourself are you with your partner? And it's like, it's important to be the best version of yourself or a version of yourself that you really like. And like, that's a good way to tell how things are going, I guess. I've definitely been with people who make me the worst version of myself. And when I look back on those chapters, I'm like, God, I'm glad that I'm more myself now. Single being like knowing who you are when you're single is helpful for that sort of like, I don't know, temperature check, but Amazing. We're going through these so fast. I got so many roommate-related questions. So Maya and I put together kind of a, a basic list of mm. roomy 101 things that'll make your life easier with roommates sort of thing. Because Maya and I used to be roommates, and I think we've both had pretty good roommate experiences in our life. Like, you're still living with roommates. I feel equipped to live with roommates post-college. You want to walk them through it? You explained this so beautifully. Well, now you've set me up for failure because I'm not going to do a good job. But um, first of all, roommate contracts. Mm-hmm. We like that. That's big. When Mal and I lived together, we had seven people living in, like, literally our space was smaller than your one-person apartment here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it was tiny, which I think, you know, introduces the potential for conflict. Um but a roommate contract is so helpful, even if you're, like, going into something with your very best friends in the world and you, like, people you know you're going to love until the day that you die. Set time aside. I know it feels like an awkward exercise. Make a roommate contract. The one that I'm doing right now, like, I live with two of my best friends from high school and another one of our close friends. And when we did ours, there's, like, all these sections about when are quiet hours, like, how do we want to, like, tackle the dishes and the chores and, like, whatever. All the logistics. And at the bottom, we also did, like, a quarterly self-improvement thing. Every one of us set goals and intentions basically, like, kind of on a semester basis where we're going to touch, like, we're trying to hold each other accountable to our, our self-growth goals. So it can, there can be, it can be fun, but actually it also helps set expectations from the beginning. Like, we decided that the eggs and the milk are all communal, and whoever sees that they're empty goes out and buys them next. Just little things like that. And I think this brings us into the second half of it. It's like, Maya and I were sitting on the train, we're looking through all these questions, and there were a lot about, like, I, I think my roommate doesn't do the dishes a lot, or, like, leaves the space a mess, or, like, a lot of complaints, which, like, of course is so normal when you're living with people, but... Maya always says this thing, and I say I think in the first episode of the podcast, work is love made visible. Mm. And she also, I think, set the tone for our last living situation with the with the seven people, where it was very, like, love forward. So she would go out of her way to clean a space for someone else. She would go out of her way to do the dishes if someone else, else left them out. And, like, led with such a love that made other people want to do good and love the space the same way. Do you want to talk more about that and how just, like, it's not tit for tat. Like, living with people is not tit for tat. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think if you're, like, keeping tally on, you know, how many times you took out the trash versus how many times your roommate did, it can really, really easily start sort of, like, a cycle of resentment. And it's like, well, I haven't taken – like, I have taken out the trash last three times in a row, so I'm not going to take it out until someone else does. And then while you're waiting for that person to take out the trash, every single time you see it, Aren't you, like, sowing the seed of, like, 
frustration and anger. It's just so much better, in my opinion. The way I tackle those feelings is just by like, I love my roommates. I want to live in a space that's clean and beautiful, and I want them to experience a clean and beautiful space. So work is love made visible. Let me show my love for my apartment, for my roommates, and for myself by taking like a moment. It literally takes five minutes to take out the trash, and you're going to feel empowered, and you're also like putting love into your space. It will come back to you, and it's like important not to keep tally, I think, but like it feels good to do a nice thing. Yeah, and I think, like, a lot of times you're not even seeing the other nice things other people you're living with are doing for you. And if you just go about it with that mentality, then everyone wants to do nice things. And, like, I got one DM that I don't know if I saved, but someone was like, I think my roommate uses my body wash. Or And, it, you know, if you really don't want something, you can, of course, communicate it. But it's also, like, maybe I, mean, maybe I used your eggs one time. Or, you know, like, things go around, come around. If you kind of are leading with, like, a level of compassion and love and wanting to enjoy the living experience, it often, I think, gets better. I had, I was randomly assigned to roommates at Olin my freshman year, and I got this person named Reed, and Reed did this from day one, was always going out of their way to make the space great for me when I came home, or led with such a level of compassion that if I left a mess, would be like, oh my god, you probably had a really hard day. And it just, it made me want to be better, and then I was better, and then I did nice things for them. And it just creates a much healthier ecosystem is if you're just nice. Like, I don't even mm-hmm. know how to explain this, but you explain it very well. Well, I also think something that I've done in every place I've ever lived. This was like in the apartment before I lived with Mall, in the apartment with Mall, and my current living situation now is setting aside time to clean all together. This, I think, is like such a, such a hack mm-hmm. to communal living. When you do a chore wheel, when like, you're responsible for trash, I'm doing dishes this week, and, you know, like, everyone gets their assignment, and then you go do that separately. I think that's totally misses an opportunity to all come together and do it at once. And when you see your apartment mates also putting in work to make your shared space awesome, it brings out so much love. Like, literally our favorite part of the (laughs) week was Sunday nights at 6 p.m., Everybody came back. We had it scheduled on our calendars. We'd get notifications and everything. We'd come back, blast some music, like early 2000s pop. It was a dance party. It was so fun. We'd clean the entire place top to bottom. And no one was done until everyone was done. And then organically, at the very end of cleaning, everyone's in the best mood ever and just wants to hang out together in your new clean space. So then it's like a big friend date afterwards, too. And then you're like seeing everyone do good things for the space it's just oh my god I talk about this all the time and I think it sounds cheesy and I think it people sound people think like oh she's making it up I remember when we had like roommates move in they were like there's no way she's this excited about sweet cleaning like this is weird but then they did it they were like this is awesome like it is the best thing ever to just all be together do an activity together that's productive and at the end of it you feel like a, you feel a high really when I was getting ready to move in with my current roommates we were talking a little bit about like housing expectations and I mentioned this and I was like, I really want to do this with you guys too. It's like honestly made my living situation so much better. And one of my friends, Ellie was like, um, I'm like a pretty clean person. I don't know if I really need that. And I was like, no, like I trust me. It's so important to me that we do this. Let's give it a shot. And she told me later that like, she kind of thought that was weird when I was, when we were all thinking about living together. And she was like, 
Mm, Maya seems kind of uptight about this cleaning thing. I don't know. It is now her favorite part of the week, too. And, like, honestly, it, this is a tip for everyone. Please do this. It's visibility makes such a difference. If you're taking out the trash and no one sees you do it, like, that's one thing. It's great to, can, like, do that anyways. But, like, seeing your seeing it, that matters. It matters so much. And then Maya would also, I'm getting flashbacks, Maya would also do this thing where we had, like, a good hour set aside for it. And if anyone finished early, then they would do, like, little home improvement projects. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait, I also have art I want to put up. Or, like, also this table feels a little wonky. Like, it keeps moving back and forth. Like, let's put something under it. People get inspired because it's just, like, time set aside to take care of the space. And it makes people so creative and, like, mm-hmm. everyone does extra tidying because that's enjoyable for them in that moment. Versus if you're kind of doing it alone, you feel like, why am I why am I taking time out of my week when no one else is, you know? If if I had a TED Talk, this is what I would use it for. Mm-hmm. I don't. We just spent probably, like, ten minutes talking about cleaning your house. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things to talk about ever. <laughs> no, and I thought it was silly, too, when I first moved in. I was like, yeah, but we can all just clean as we go. And it doesn't happen. It does not end up happening. Cleaning as you go does – and we also hosted parties. So by Sunday morning – our place would be a mess. And then to just know that it was going to be taken care of by the end of the day was mm. such a good... Okay, we have to stop talking about it. Let's move, let's move on. <laughs> I like this question a lot. How do you deal with negative ta- thoughts, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts, and as someone who thrives off academic validation, how do you combat a bad score and or dream internship slash job offer rejection? I read that like someone who could not read. <laughs> um... I, the current job that I'm at, when I first applied to it, I got rejected. And then the second time, I had to go through 14 rounds of interviewing. So, um, it, rejection is normal, and it's not personal. And sometimes it just takes, like, you just have to believe in yourself. Fake it till you make it. I think that also, it probably wasn't the right position, because... I think, especially with job and career stuff, um, or, like, getting to a certain school or something, you want it to be that perfect level of, like, it's challenging. Like, it's not easy for you. It's challenging. But it's not so challenging that you're so in over your head that you hate the subject and you hate what you're doing. So it needs to be that really sweet spot. So Mm -hmm. I try to think of it as, like, if I'm rejected, it was too far in one of those directions. It was either going to be too challenging for me and I would start hating my life, or it would be too easy and I wouldn't be learning. Like... They're almost sometimes doing you a favor by saying no to you mm-hmm. because you're and also you want to end up somewhere where they wanted you there really badly because that just like breeds a better environment mm-hmm. for everyone. So I try to think of it as like it wasn't that perfect sweet spot for me. I'm going to find the next thing that is and the place where I'm supposed to be. And you also don't want everyone to be so much smarter than you that you can't hold a conversation with them or so much not in line with you that you're like. I don't even know what to talk about with them. Like, even mm. the people need to be in the sweet spot. So the people saying yes or no to you are kind of trying to create an environment where everyone's bringing in skills, has their own niche. Like, you don't even know what's happening in the back end. So a rejection just isn't the community we're looking for. Have you talked about on the pod, like, the 30 days of rejection stuff? I have not. But I, I didn't do the best job of it. Like, I didn't do it, like, one a day for 30 days. But I kind of, towards the end of the summer, I was trying to do a thing where I was putting myself out there to get rejection. And actually, the next question is also, um, can't find the confidence to ask out my crush. Scared of rejection. Any tips? Being rejected is so scary. Like, I get it. 
I, for my whole life, have been really scared of it. And coming into a PhD program, one thing my advisor said was like, you are going to get rejected from something you work very hard for almost every week of your PhD because you're constantly applying to like journals, conferences, papers, grants. Like that is a part of the program. And so I'd read that before I was coming in and I was like, oh no, I don't do well with rejection. So I need to like combat this. And I'd seen a TED talk that I can link in the show notes about rejection. And I'd heard about it from Maya. We'd talked about it in the car once earlier this year. So I was like, I need to, I need to do this. I need to put myself in situations. I need to ask for things that I'm not going to get so I can get rejected and tick it off as like, I got rejected today. Good. If you make that the goal, it's almost a success when you are. And also you'll be surprised by how many people actually just like say yes to things or give you things or want to help you. Yeah, I feel like fearing rejection is your body's way of trying to protect you from negative feelings. But because you're, you know, it's such a defense mechanism, like you self-reject from a lot of opportunities that the universe might actually be, you know, like prepared to grant you. You know, like if you self-reject from applying for your dream job, then you don't know if you actually got rejected or if you just didn't think you made the cut. So this like collect one rejection every single day and setting that as the objective, that's like a really powerful way to sort of reteach yourself where where that line is. Like where are you self-rejecting when you absolutely shouldn't be? There's also just so much inherent like self-annihilation in women specifically mm-hmm. of like, I'm probably not good enough anyways, so I'm just not going to do it. And it, my friend Annie, actually, during the pandemic, we would do, um, I don't even know what we were applying for. We would do one hour of cold emailing a day because she <laughs> loves emailing. And that, that <laughs> yeah. out. And oh, I love her. I don't even know what I was applying for, what I was cold emailing for. I could not tell you. I think it was advice for grad school applications. That's what I'm kind of remembering. And because just how much she loved cold emailing and she was doing it, I would just like sit on the couch with her and do it with her. And the amount of people that actually want to help you or want to open doors for you is enormous. If you send 100 emails, sometimes five whole people want to help you, which sounds like bad odds, but five people want to open five different doors for you. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Like, and the 100 emails actually don't take that long when you're kind of like mass writing stuff, sending stuff. And it was just such a good teacher for me of, oh, like people want to help. People want to help. And then the getting rejected also makes you less sensitive to it every time. You're kind of getting desensitized to it, which is good in the long run. And then also you're getting practice. Like with writing each email, I knew what sentences worked better. I knew how to introduce myself better, a better elevator pitch. I would get better at something every single time. So there were just so many different, Mm -hmm. you know, people are like have different streams of income. There were so many streams of like good things happening Mm -hmm. from trying to get rejected. And I would do it like at coffee shops. I'd be like, could I have oat milk for free actually, instead of the extra 50 cents, (laughs) like stuff like that. And sometimes if you're nice and ask for things and the barista likes you, they'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like what difference does it make to them? (laughs) And That's just, a separate thing. Though. <laughs> it doesn't hurt that you're like gorgeous. <laughs> no, but I no. Often it was not people who were into me. They were just like, yeah, I don't get paid nearly enough. To <laughs> see, see what systems you can take advantage of. <laughs> but I just like I asked for so many things, and it could be something as easy as like recently I wrote to my old professor and just reached out and I was like, hey, like thought about your classes today. I like, hope you're doing well. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, my God, I was recently thinking about you because 
this person I used to work with is trying to hire like grad students for this thing. So rejection can be also reaching out to people with nothing in mind. Like I wasn't trying to get anything from her. I was just like, oh, I'm thinking about her today. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives you the practice of just reaching out sometimes. And I hate being told no. I really hate it. But it's made me less hate it. Does that make sense? Sure. <laughs> We're so good at this. This is great. I'm in my first job postgrad and I feel like I hate what I'm doing and I'm really uninspired. I like the work friends I'm making and the amount of money I'm making, but that's it. What would you guys recommend I do? I I think your first job postgrad is like not the end of the world. I mean, I just don't think it's what you're gonna be doing forever. I think if you like your work friends and the amount of money you're making. Holy shit, like... You're ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely doing okay. I think it's like, um, it, treat it like it's a job, like it's your nine to five. And if you can try to squeeze out a like useful skill that you think you want to get better at or like learn about something that you think is interesting, try to get paid to do that. You know, try to use it as a place to foster some skills that you want to take elsewhere. And then don't give it any more time or emotion then you were literally getting paid to do and then use your outside of work time to sort of start to explore other options tell them about your mornings oh i think okay so i i feel like working a nine to five and this has happened to me with like every internship i've ever had as well especially in the beginning lull where you feel like you're shit at what you're doing and you're not good at the work and work feels kind of like a stressful and scary place I feel like if I wake up and in a rush to get my coffee and like get dressed and head out, I feel like my day is just getting sucked up by work. And then by the time I leave the office, it's dark. And the only thing to do is eat dinner and go to bed. It's such a depressing cycle. And it makes me feel even worse about a situation that's already hard. It's like adapting and transitioning to a new job. So something that I like to do is wake up early and then have a little part of my day that's mine before I fork it over and like give it to my job. So like I'll wake up a solid two hours before it's time to be in the office, which I know not everyone can do if you're not a morning person, but I really wasn't a morning person before I started doing this either. And I'll like to go for a run or like make myself a really nice cup of coffee. Um, I like to drink my coffee on the porch, like have a little reflection. I don't, I'm not like that kind of girl who can journal and, and do like, self-care really well but I guess this is my form of self-care is just like having a little bit of my day that's mine so that I don't feel like all I am is what I do at the office I also think there's like so much of the whole like self-care thing is really what works for you because otherwise it's just like a marketing tactic Mm -hmm. journal companies are using (laughs) (laughs) like sometimes it's hard for me self-care is having a really clean and organized room so like Oftentimes, if I have, like, left things a mess, like, my morning time, I spend making my bed, doing 20 minutes of folding clothing, and, like, making a cup of coffee. And then getting really cute to go to work. Sometimes feeling like I'm in a good fit makes me feel better. How to keep your spirits up after going on many unsuccessful first dates? I like to remind myself that you can just take a break from dating. Like... You don't have, if you're single, you don't have to constantly be dating. 
And I think that's like something that when you're in your 20s is hard to navigate because if you're single, that's what people are asking you. That's what people are talking about. You're sitting on the couch and you're like looking at Hinge. Like that is the focus if you are a single person in your 20s, which can be so annoyingly all consuming. And then you start to feel like this is all I am. I'm mm. just someone going on dates. And even if you're like telling yourself, oh, like I'm, I'll get a good story out of it or whatever, it feels so awful because you're like, I'm actually being vulnerable. I'm putting myself on the line. I would say just like you can take a break from dating and it can be with a time limit. It can be like, I'm just three months, not going to be, or three weeks or whatever time works for you. Not going to be on any dating apps. I'm not going to go into every situation being like, who's going to flirt with me? Who am I going to flirt with? Just be yourself, mm-hmm. a non-dating person for a little bit and see how you feel. Yeah, maybe a good way to, like, what about redirecting your energy to taking yourself on some dates? Like, maybe take a Saturday and go get your nails did. And then, I don't know, deep condition your hair or something. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what it is that you would do. But, like, spend the energy that you'd otherwise be spending on meeting and, like, attracting other people and, and just spend it on yourself. I also think, like... I spoke about this in a pod a few episodes ago, but kind of just like imagining that you're going to find the person you want to date in a year from now and living your life accordingly. Because if you were kind of guaranteed that you're going to find your person in a year, you would not spend your time going on dates with like very subpar people. Yeah. You would kind of be like, I'm going to go visit my friends. I'm going to learn dancing. I'm going to go to the pottery studio. Whatever thing you've been wanting to do, you'd be like, I'm going to be so spontaneous for the next year. I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm going to go swim in the lake. I'm. You're just kind of putting that to the very back of your mind and living your life because there's so much pressure, I think, especially if all your friends are in relationships or something, to, to find your person. Like, that's everything that's marketed to us. It's every movie we've ever watched is like the the happy ending is finding your person. And if you kind of put that to the back of your mind and let the floor of your mind be consumed with just things you want to do, maybe you'll find someone through that way. Or maybe it'll actually make you stop thinking about dating mm-hmm. in such a like, it's taken everything out of me kind of way. Yeah. I also, yeah, we, to the media point of like how we've been advertised, what, you know, adult life looks like, it's always partnered with a monogamous like, you're with your husband and it's happily ever after. I I like to think that if, you know, the worst case scenario in that, like, in that model of what our lives are supposed to look like would be ending up like an old dried up spinster. And the thing is, I feel like I would rock at that. Like, I'm, I would be stoked for that as an outcome. That I don't, I don't think this is what that question was about, but like, you should be at a, well, should be or shouldn't be like I don't that's a lot of pressure but like I would like to find myself in a place where if I never like found my person or like started a family or whatever I would still be really happy with myself yeah you're kind of just like building an expansive life for yourself that makes dating a less important part of it Mm -hmm. and I think that takes the pressure off each date it's not like if this doesn't go well I'm gonna be unhappy it's like well let's see what happens tonight I also think you could just make your dates shorter. Like, maybe you're giving a lot of yourself in each of these first dates, and if they don't go well, it feels a lot more personal mm. versus if you just – you keep it down to, like, let's go out for one drink or one coffee or something just a little smaller. I feel like if that feels, quote-unquote, unsuccessful, it feels like you've given less of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much lower stakes. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one question that was 
about to-do lists and it was just how to make a good to-do list. And at first I was like, I don't know if I have any advice for here, but I do. Here's what I do. Okay. <laughs> I haven't told Maya this yet. I told her, I told her to save it because I wanted to learn about it on the phone. Okay. You're going to get her raw reaction. I used to make to-do lists with one big list of everything I had to do that day. So on the same list, it would be like everything from send that one email, edit the podcast, get groceries, and this huge project I would do three weeks from now. Mm -hmm. And it would make me feel so overwhelmed. I would never get everything on the list done. And I did not like it. Now what I do is I make a bunch of micro to-do lists. So one is like for the podcast. One is like for my CS class. One is for my comms class. One is for my research. One is personal. So like cooking, groceries, cleaning, blah, blah. One is like social stuff. So like if I want to go get a coffee with someone, if I want to call Maya that day, whatever. So everything is a different list. And I almost always get everything off one list done. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I got all my CS stuff done or like mm. all of my personal stuff done. And everything that I didn't get done, I just put on the next day's list. And that helps also breaking things down. I, I think this is something everyone says. It's like if you have a four-week project, break down into certain tasks and put those on. I do that too. But the I know this sounds so silly, just like breaking your life down into different compartments, but it makes me feel so much better to be like, well, I got one compartment of my life done today. Like, because otherwise it just gets so overwhelming and I feel like there's just too much stuff on one list and the list gets too long and too scary and too daunting. I feel like this is good advice for me because right now I'm like the job that I have is like I have three or four different projects going at once. And sometimes I find that all of their priorities being like competing for, you know, I only have so much time in the day is really overwhelming. And I've actually just received this advice from my manager as well. Sort of not exactly as gracefully as you put it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically just like taking a day out and saying like, I'm not working on task B or C. Today is all about task A. And if I get requests for B and C, I can just ignore them until tomorrow. And, like, I think, especially with bigger sort of creative problem solving, which is a lot of what I do at work, if I don't have full focus on that thing, if I'm thinking about task B and C, it completely interrupts my productivity on task A. So, like, I need to take that advice and, like, start breaking up my to-do list sort of by, you know, A, B, and C. Amazing. I also just saw one, which I hadn't seen before, relationship tips for when they have a lot of experience when you don't. I've been getting DMs about this recently, and I think this, like, creates such a weird power dynamic, and you have to remember that you've been in relationships before in your family relationships with teachers, with friends, with siblings, or whatever it is, and a lot of those same principles apply, so don't let your partner hold this idea of, like, they've dated more people than you have over you, because that can get so toxic, I think, so fast. And I think this also comes back to something we talked about earlier, which is, like, every relationship is brand new to both of you. So, like, it doesn't really matter if they've been with, like, six other people before you guys ever met or, like, way more than that because the experience they're having with you is completely brand new and should be, like, completely novel for you to explore together. Yeah, that's beautiful. We did a lot of questions covered a lot of things and I have 
so many long distance friendship questions specifically, which I want to say, like, if you listen to the last time me and Maya were potting, we were living together. I was like almost crying on that episode about having to be apart. And I was so scared and I thought it would be the worst thing in the world. And it's not great. (laughs) But now we've both visited each other and are like in our spaces. I've gotten to see her apartment, her roommate. She's gotten to see like the space I live in, the city I live in. And it's not too bad. It's, it's, there's so much joy in the fact that, like, when you do want to escape your life, you just have this other person and this other city you can run to. Like, that is a beauty that I had only imagined and didn't see in action till recently, and I love it. I needed to be away from Boston so badly this weekend. Like, I can't tell you how awesome it is that I get to just be in Mall's little protected bubble of the world. Like, I, we didn't do anything. this weekend like we actually stayed in the entire time and like I just tried on all of her clothes and like like, we we stayed in the apartment and we matched okay it's so cute we're wearing matching in you gear right now but like yeah it's it's been there's so many more silver linings that I thought there was going to be also we do um little like virtual date nights Mm -hmm. it's really fun but like we'll protect time maybe if you need a break from dating and you are feeling uninspired Go on a virtual date with one of your besties because we do that. We always say we're going to get dressed up and we never fucking do. It's always in pajamas. <laughs> but everyone is required to have a glass of wine or like mm-hmm. some cute little beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just talk about bullshit. And it's always successful. Like that's the thing with friend dates is they're always going to be successful. Or with yeah. friend dates you already have established. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier. And because you don't have to, you're not putting up a, we went out to dinner the first night when I got here and it was just like, we were four minutes in and I was like, this is better than any date I've ever been on. Like, <laughs> it's just, because you know each other, there's so much established comfort and it, I think like reinvigorates you mm-hmm. more than a romantic thing ever could. Yeah. Also, I've caught on, this is not about this question, but I've caught up on so much sleep here. I went to bed at 7.15 last night. <laughs> I feel so safe with you. <laughs> we were watching New Girl, and I'm like, I'm giving commentary. <laughs> like, a whole episode, I was like, can you believe that happened? Like, all this stuff. And for a while, Maya's not responding, and I look over, and she's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you all for listening. Wow, that did not feel like 40 minutes. Did that feel like 40 minutes to you? No, it, it literally never does. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Comment, DM, whatever you need to do. Um, I love y'all, and give Maya a big kiss if you're listening. And Maya, give them a big kiss. That was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Bye! And that's a wrap. Thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode. If you want more, follow at Show Me How Good It Gets podcast. I read all the DMs I get on there. And then my personal Instagram account is at MalvikaBot, and my TikTok is at MalTalks. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a rating, preferably a five star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, I hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well. Um, Once again, thank you guys for hanging out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.